Are you ready for retirement? Do you feel comfortable about your years of retirement? Many women don't feel ready or have some questions that need to be answered. Welcome to Women Seeking Blissful Retirement with Maria Lucasen. We've got some amazing guests and terrific ideas to make sure you are preparing and enjoying retirement. Now, here's your host, Maria Lucasen. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are, welcome to today's podcast of Women Seeking Blissful Retirement at the Empowerment Channel of Voice America, the largest radio platform in the world of talk radio shows. Welcome to all the listeners. I saw uh, listeners in the US and Canada, of course, but also in Germany and France and even in Asia. Uh, There were some people in China and in Australia that are listening to my show. I'm so happy about that because it's a worldwide issue. Everybody is retiring at some time. We all are growing older. So anywhere you are listening to this podcast, I'm grateful that you are making time for you to find out more about the topic of retirement. It's my great pleasure to present this series of shows and bring subjects that will help you in planning and preparing for your next chapter in life. My name is Maria Lucasa, and I am a certified retirement coach. I help find women No, I help women find joy and meaning in retirement. Ideally, we make plans before we start the next phase in life. So after working for 40 years, I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, and where I want. And at the same time, I see how opening up about this next next chapter in my life I have given many women a new perspective about retiring, and I am compelled to use my voice to bring awareness and motivate women to choose a vibrant lifestyle in their next chapter. That's what I feel is the legacy I want to leave. So if you are retiring this year, or maybe did last year, and you have not prepared for the changes in this chapter in life, and there are many, but would like to be at the best time of your life, then I invite you to join my 90-day group program, Next Chapter Roadmap. And that is starting in November. So please, if this resonates with you, you can send me an email at maria, maria lucasenhq.com for more details. So, as always, I start this podcast with an affirmation for this month. 30 days repeating a certain phrase is helping you to change your mind. It's the beginning point on the path to change. In essence, you are saying to your subconscious mind, I am taking responsibility. I am aware that there is something I can do to change. So when I talk about doing affirmations, I mean consciously choosing words that will either help eliminate something from your life or help create something new in your life. Affirmations are like seeds planted in soil. Poor soil, poor growth. 
rich soil, abundant growth. So the more you choose to think the thoughts that make you feel good, the quicker the affirmations work. So for this week, because we're going to talk about eating and weight loss and just living healthier, I have chosen an affirmation that goes with that topic. So the affirmation is the food choices I make are consistent with my ultimate goal, losing weight and being healthy. So if you use this regularly every day, uh, multiple times, you can put it on a, on a post-it note somewhere and you see it a, a couple of times a day and you repeat it, it will get into your mind and it will change how you look at what you are eating during the day. So if you want to achieve your goals, you have to feel good about the process. So by using affirmations for weight loss daily, you'll get in the right frame of mind and the results will follow. So that brings me to welcoming my guest for today. And I'm so excited about that. So let me say hello to my friend and expert on this topic, Netta Gorman. Netta, how are you today? Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm fine, thank you, thank you. Yes, so today our topic is about eating healthy and life after sugar. And that's something where I have difficulties with. I, I love my sugar sweets. So, and that's before we start in our conversation, I want to give the listener a little bit of feedback about you. I have your bio. So I'm going to just choose a few things out of your bio. And then we, I want you to explain what happened. Bef uh, uh, why you are so passionate about this topic and why you got in doing what you're doing right now. So first, Netta, until the age of 45, had always eaten normally. That is three meals a day, sometimes a snack or two, and treats on special occasion. She calls herself a self-identified sweet tooth. Who? Me too. So now she eats once or twice a day and she enjoys a more healthy relationship with food and with herself because she sees it as a delicious and fun way to nourish herself, not as a calculation of macros or calories or good or bad foods. She also has a better self-esteem because she feels and looks so great. Yes, she does. She's been sugar-free for over seven years now. Netta also learned how to make her own probiotic, fermented foods and drinks as a delicious way to look after her gut health. She makes her own yogurt, kefir, kombucha, and lacto-fermented veggies like sauerkraut and kimchi. Netta has an online private membership the After Sugar Club, what a name, a website and a YouTube channel and a podcast called Life After Sugar. That's where we will talk about now. Netta, as I uh, indicated already, um, there was something in your life that 
made you change your food, your eating habits. Can you tell the audience how you discovered this healthy lifestyle that you have now? Yes, thank you. Well, as you mentioned, you know, I always thought I normally, so um, I didn't think there was any kind of problem. I didn't have a weight issue. I had a few pounds to lose, but I was in no way overweight. But my health issues were less visible. So up until around the age of 45, from about the age of 30, I'd been having digestive issues. So um, basically chronic constipation. And by the time I was 45, I was going to the bathroom like once a week. Oh, and yeah, you can imagine just how uncomfortable that must yes. be. Yeah. yeah. And even toxic for my body. And I yeah. wasn't just um, bloated. I mean, I was bloated. I was uncomfortable, but I was in pain. And I'd been to see all the doctors. They sent me to a hospital even for x-rays and all sorts of things. And basically, it's I just couldn't go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, and the doctors told me, eat more fiber, eat more fiber. And mm -hmm. well, it ended up making everything worse, actually. Yeah. So I didn't know what to do. Um, and then uh, I decided to go and see a nutritional therapist who actually gave me advice that was the total opposite of all the doctors I've gone to see. And she said, just for a period of two weeks, try cutting sugar and flour and yes. sweeteners and to see what, ha what would happen. Ooh. And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you crazy? Who would do such a thing? Yeah. What I was looking for was a solution to my digestive issues. I wasn't looking for somebody to tell me to take away all my favorite foods. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was basically finding comfort in chocolate and all the other sweet foods yeah. because I was suffering so much. I wasn't willing to get, get rid of those. Yeah. So I rejected her suggestion and I resisted for weeks. Yeah. Um, and basically what changed was that at some point I realized, look, nothing is changing and nothing is getting better. And if I don't change something, nothing will change. Mm. So I decided at the end of the summer 2015 to give it a try. I thought, I've got nothing to lose. I, nothing's getting better. I'll give it a try. So for two weeks, I sort of steeled myself for the idea that for two weeks, and it was just temporary, so I could handle that. Mm -hmm. um, for two weeks, I would eat no sugar sweeteners or flour, refined grains. Yeah. And I did it. I did that. It sounds easier said than done. But yeah, once I got my head around the idea that it was just for two weeks, it's not forever, you know, you can go right back to the chocolate if you want to, then it made it more doable. Yeah. And it made it into a sort of an experiment. And I'm quite adventurous and open minded by nature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, it's like an adventure. Yeah. And then I thought, well, what am I going to eat? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically, um, I had a list of, well, what I now call food. Mm -hmm. She gave me a list of real foods 
Yeah. So meat, fish, seafood, fruit, vegetable, vegetables, nuts, um, and basically eggs, fermented dairy like yogurt. Yeah. That was it. Cheese. Oh. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, okay, these are basically foods that don't come in a box or packaging. Yeah. I can handle. Mm -hmm. I can handle that. I know how to cook. Um, and the the sort of the biggest challenge was breakfast. Uh-huh. How do you start your day if you don't eat cereal, toast, and all the muffin, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'd, I'd never started my day with anything else than sugar and refined grains. Yeah. So that was the biggest challenge. And so I ended up eating eggs for breakfast with vegetables yeah. or some kind of meat like sausages or ham or bacon or something yeah um, and that was my breakfast and funnily enough after the first few days I found that usually when I had my sort of sugar crash or energy slump at, in sort of at 10 in the morning yeah I wasn't I wasn't experiencing that I wasn't thinking about food yeah until lunchtime and then as time went on I didn't even necessarily feel that hungry at lunchtime either yeah and so that was a really big aha moment for me to yeah. think oh wait when I start my day without mm -hmm. a sugar spike mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel hungry a couple of hours later mm -hmm. and that was a big aha moment for me so after that first two weeks the first few days I did sort of have detox symptoms yeah um and then once they were over and they really were temporary I started feeling much better lots more energy yeah. less aches and pains mm -hmm. uh, even if a couple of pounds melted away yeah and after the first couple of weeks when the nutritional therapist said to me well you know you can start reintroducing a little bit of sugar a little bit of flour some bread I said no I feel great. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, and that's when you then said, okay, no, I want to uh, stay in this healthy habit of having a breakfast without all the sugar uh, products that you can find in all the supermarkets and uh, start my day with, uh, with healthy, a healthy meal. Um, right. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I breakfast indeed for me is something I do not want to skip either most of the time. So we'll get into that later. But um, it is people or I have heard all my life, you have to have breakfast. And my mom insisted that we had breakfast. So it was something that I have had for as long as I'm uh, on this earth, you know, breakfast, we never skipped it. It just was not something to, to think of or to talk about. So I, I wouldn't like to skip my breakfast either. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, changing it is different. If you are used to having cereal or white toast, um, for breakfast yeah so i think i might have a healthier choice there but uh, we want to talk a little bit about 
not just what we put in our mouths. And I love the foods that you just mentioned. Uh, they are all healthy foods. Um, often it says we have to eat less, cutting our calories. And there are many diets out there that work on that, where you have to look, okay, uh, you are allowed only so many pieces a day or only one of this and one of that. And what is all the first about that you say, okay, sugar, how does sugar impact our, uh, our meals as well as our uh, health? Yes, yes. Well, what I found, because I don't have a scientific or a nutritional background, yeah. I'm a teacher of English as a second language. I teach Shakespeare and stuff, you know, so <laughs> I didn't know um, anything about how sugar affects the body. And what I found when I started reading up and educating myself as, as a consumer more than as a scientist was that it's not so much the number of calories and, and the whole concept of calories really has nothing to do with human biology. But if we're going to talk about calories, then um, as inaccurate as that is, the whole concept of calories, the source of our calories counts way more than the number of yeah. calories. Yes, so, I totally agree. Yeah. And human biology agrees as well, because your body will react to calories from sugar completely differently from calories, however many you want to count them, from calories from good proteins or fats. So if you eat sugary foods, even calorie-free ones, your body will um, create a sugar spike in your blood sugar, and then your pancreas will produce insulin to bring the sugar spike back down, and insulin is the hormone that will actually stop your body, prevent your body from using all the calories that you already have um, stocked up inside your body as body fat. So basically, if you're eating foods that contain a form of sugar, either sugar itself or flour, which is metabolized exactly like sugar, mm -hmm. white or brown flour, it's the same thing, really, then that will give you this sugar spike and then the production of insulin. And the bottom line is that all the fat that you have stocked up, stored up in your body will stay there. And not only will it stay there, but you'll be adding to it. So if you want to have access to use your stored body fat as energy and therefore lose weight or lose body fat, which is the whole goal of most people, then what you need to do is stop giving your body this insulin spike that comes from eating sources of sugar, like sugar and flour. Yeah. Yeah. We don't think about it that way. I mean, uh, we probably learn it all at one time uh, in, in, in our biology class at school, but then you don't make the connection with what you are eating, really, because it's two different things kind of thing. You know, your, your class at school is just to get a good grade, unless right. it's really something that, that interests you. But the majority of us, we are people of habits. 
And um, if, if you are used to eating um, lots of fast food or uh, prepared products or lots of sweet things, then you stay with that. And it just because you learned it at school that there is a way to access the fat that is stored in your body instead of using the sweet calories that you're putting in your mouth or in your body. Um, we don't make that connection and change uh, because of that. Something like with you, you have to be feeling really kind of uncomfortable or something else with your body has to happen for you to notice or to see, hey, I, I need to change something. But often people are like, you, you notice yourself resisting to let the go of good stuff. At least we think it's good stuff because it's sweet for us, but it's not always good for us, even if we like the taste more. Um, yeah, so as I, I am addicted, not addicted to sugar, but I like my cookie and I like my dark chocolate uh, every day. I, I can't live without them. They are my little treats for the day. Otherwise, you won't find sugar in my house. But yeah, am I hopeless in getting uh, to use the fat stored in my body or um, how much effect does that have? How can you help people that even love more sugar or more sweet stuff than I do? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's totally normal to love sweet tastes. We're, you know, programmed to love sweetness when we're born and you know, breast milk or, or, you know, milk is sweet. But then when we grow up, I think that what's happened in the last 50, 60 years or so is that we have been so used to everything, have it being extra sweet and having sugar added to it. And even non-sweet foods that are starchy and that are highly processed by the food industry that you wouldn't believe um, you know, affect the body in the same way as sugar. All of these processed foods have us thinking that what we're eating, the products that we're eating are actually food and have us, our, our sort of threshold for sweetness is so high that anything under that is considered to be extreme. So how I eat now, I myself would have considered extreme. <laughs> yeah. And I myself, just like you said, would have believed that, no, no, you can't get rid of all your treats and you need a sweet treat and one or two a day. That's just fine. It's healthy. And, you know, moderation in everything. Right. And that's fine. that is just fine for many, many people. And the, the sort of the, the difference is that for some people, moderation creates more suffering than it does mm. good feelings and for those people um that the the one cookie or the one treat well it's no longer a treat it's actually a source of suffering not for the food itself but for their relationship with it and for the behavior that they have and one cookie is never enough you know there's a saying that um 1000 is never enough and one is too many for yeah. some people, sugar triggers this type of 
behavior or unhealthy relationship with their food, whether it's never enough, they want more and more and more. And it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And for people like that, what is healthy for them is zero. Yeah. Yes. And, and I get that. I sometimes talk to, to friends about it and I they just can't imagine that I'm happy with one piece of chocolate out of a whole bar that I don't eat a whole bar in one go. Now I say uh, that there is, for me, there is a reason behind this. I learned a long time ago that um, the diminishing effect of what you eat or do, and especially with eating, the first piece that you eat is always delicious because you can savor it, you can taste it. And then the second piece, the, the, the value of, of how it tastes is less as the first piece that you eat. So when it goes gradually, it gets less and less and less. The last piece that you eat, you won't taste hardly anymore because you had all the good stuff already. So for me, once I figured that out, it was kind of a way to say, okay, one piece and I really enjoy it is what's giving me that feeling of having something special um, on a daily basis. So that's how I think about it, to be able to be kind of disciplined in why I only eat the one cookie or the one piece of chocolate. But um, it's I, I totally get it that it's sometimes difficult to stop after one piece. And often it's because there are more um, mind and um, psychology issues with the people as that it is for the body. Um, because they're, like you say, they're suffering and there's sometimes there's stress or there is pain for something that has happened. And then you um, eat something just to feel good again. So um, you came across something that has helped you to uh, stop having the cravings for sugar. So um, can you explain how you discovered that and, and, and what it is all about? All right. What so people? it's actually two things. Yeah. Um, for sugar cravings, for myself and for hundreds of thousands of other people who um, are different from you, they can't just stop at one piece and they can't <laughs> intellectualize it either. The brain is not wired to do that. Um, the the fact that there is no sweet taste on my tongue and hasn't been for, for the last seven years is what has helped me get rid of sugar cravings. It's like this whole sweet range of tastes is off my radar now and has stopped bugging my brain, as it were. And yeah. I just lost the taste for sweetness it sweetness doesn't even taste good anymore to me and I was a real sweet tooth and so I'm not running after sweet tastes anymore or trying to replace sugar with something else that's sweet it's just totally off my radar out of my habits um, and I don't feed my cravings with other sweet tastes and that's been a, a wonderful change for me I realized that obviously it's not the same for everybody on the planet we're all different but uh, I do know that there are many many people for whom freedom from sugar and freedom from cravings comes from not 
eating sweet tastes. Yeah. Another thing that helped with the cravings is when I discovered fermented probiotic foods and drinks that I make myself now because it's much, much cheaper to make them myself and, and, you know, very easy to do that. So um, foods and drinks such as kombucha and milk kefir, water kefir and uh, yogurt that I make. It's a mesophilic yogurt that I make that ferments at room temperature and fermented veggies that you mentioned at the beginning, sauerkraut and kimchi and so on. All of these probiotic foods look after my gut health, plus yeah. they're delicious. Yeah. And when your gut health is in good shape, not only is your general health in better shape, but actually they found that the gut-brain connection means that when you have good gut health, that can also really lower your cravings. Yeah. And uh, that's so true. Um, I, I love fermented food. Uh, I'm not making them myself. Uh, there was a time that I would make yogurt, um, but at the moment uh, I am not having uh, enough time to prepare them. And I know uh, once you have the routine and you know how to do it, it's fairly easy. But I yes, need... it takes me about, I would say, 10 seconds a day. 10 seconds a day. Oh, my God. Then I want to know from you later how you do this. Because I, uh, I, at the moment, I buy my yogurt in the store and I eat everyday yogurt. Yes. So that's for me, it's a part of my diet. I, I do, what I do not want to give up. Uh, because A, you say it has the probiotics in it. It's a good source of protein. And, um, and I, I love it. I don't have sugar in it. Um, I just put some fresh fruits in it, what I can find. And uh, yeah, so it's, there's many, many ways on how you can sweeten between brackets some food by using natural products like a banana or apple or any other fruit. Uh, in in that case so um yeah you don't have to say okay no sugar when i say no sugar i really do not add any sugar but there's natural products that have sugar in it isn't it oh yes there's plenty as i say it's not the food itself for some people for many people it's not the actual food that's the issue it's what the sweet taste does to their yeah. brain yeah. and triggers a behavior mm -hmm. that we'd rather not have right yes so and what are uh, besides um making the fermented foods uh, what kind of habits have you right now, when I did the bio, you have gone to two meals a day, from three to two meals a day. So can you explain to the listener how your daily food pattern is right now and um, how sugar is connected to what you are doing, how it makes that happen that you feel good about it and not yeah, get hungry? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned before that, you know, I used to eat air quotes normally, in other words, three meals a day, one or two snacks a day. In fact, I realized when I stopped eating sugar that 
before, I was always hungry. And it wasn't this sort of, oh, it'd be nice to eat sort of hunger. It's this, I've got to eat now. And I used to be hangry, you know, the, the feeling of being hungry and angry at the same time. It's like it was a pressing need to eat. And funnily enough, when I cut sugar and flour and sweeteners, I realized that I wasn't getting this feeling anymore. And when I read up about it and I educated myself, I learned that that feeling that I'd interpreted as being hunger was actually just a blood sugar spike and crash. And once my blood sugar leveled out and became a lot more stable because I wasn't eating the foods that were spiking my blood sugar level and making it crash, once everything was a lot more stable, then I wasn't getting that feeling of desperate, desperate, desperate hunger that wasn't actually, how could it have been hunger when I was eating five or six times a day? Yeah, It wasn't hunger, but I thought it was. And when it went away, when I stopped eating sugar, then I realized, oh, you know, I am eating less often and feeling less hungry. Whereas before I was eating more often and feeling more hungry, how can that be? And that just blew my mind for the whole concept of hunger. And then, as I say, I read up on it and realized, oh, it wasn't hunger after all. So then as time went on, I, I, remember, I remember getting to lunchtime and thinking, oh, I don't want to eat. Oh. I'm not hungry. I was sort of forcing myself to eat because I'd always grown up with this dogma of having to eat three times a, a day and the yeah. concept that you mentioned earlier of skipping a meal well skipping a meal is only true if you're in this paradigm of three meals a day but my paradigm now is eat when you're hungry and don't eat if you're not hungry and because I'm getting hungry less often that in real terms translates to only eating twice a day, sometimes once. If I'm only hungry once a day, I'm going to eat once a day. And if I'm hungry more often, I'll eat more often. But between you and me and the listeners, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't usually get hungry more than twice a day. And I'm quite happy. Do I skip meals? No, because I'm no longer in that paradigm of three meals a day. Yes, that's the, that's the first thing that you need to accept and uh, be comfortable with that uh, everybody else is eating three times uh, or whatever they were taught when they were children and growing up. Um, as long as you have enough calories that you can burn to not lose weight unless you want to lose weight. That's a different story. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, but if you want to just maintain your body weight and your, your good health, doesn't matter how often you eat, as long as you eat enough so that you have the well, calories. Well, enough of the right types of food. Of course. Uh, yes. Not just about the calories. Yeah. Not just the calories, but yeah. Um, depending on what you eat, um, it all has an effect on your body, how healthy you feel and how long you can go without, uh, without having to eat something because uh, what you put in, in your body um, 
different uh, types of food will uh, sustain you longer before you need something um, else to eat. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that was mind blowing as well for me, because funnily enough, unprocessed whole sources of fats and proteins sustain you longer. And here I am, teeny tiny, I'm only about 115 pounds. And you should eat the you should see, sorry, the the food that I eat, you know, I could eat as much as a full grown man and eat sources of good unprocessed fats, especially and proteins. And I haven't put on an ounce for seven years, you know, I'm at my ideal weight. And I eat plenty of calories. It's just that those calories don't spike my insulin. Yes, 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 yes. That's that's it. That's what surprises many people too. Uh, just like you, I'm tiny in a way. Um, I just barely come over a hundred pounds uh, for uh, so, and, and that is not a lot. And I can hardly put weight on. I would love to put an ex- a few pounds on, but it's hard because of the lifestyle. Uh, that I have, and I probably we have a lot of similarities where we would compare it. There still probably are, will will be differences. But as people who look at my plate, where we eat together, and I eat it all, you know, and all the others. They, but I, the, what I choose is already much healthier as what the rest is choosing. But I will eat the plate, you know. And the people look at me and they think you're so small. You're eating this all, and then I think, yeah, and I eat it all, and I will. Um, will burn it too, you know, in, 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 in a good way. So what I wanted to talk with you about a little bit more is um, not about the skipping of food, because that's how we are calling it right now, skipping of a meal. There's a different word for it or a different way of looking at it. And that is what they call intermittent fasting and i would love to talk with you a little bit more about that what is it uh, and what is the effect on your body and uh yeah and you don't have to go hungry when you do it can you help the listeners with the benefits of this particular way of living or eating healthier Yes, yes. Well, first, I have to say, I'd never heard of intermittent fasting before about a couple of years ago, because it became a thing. I mean, I've yeah. been doing it. I didn't know it had a name. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's been around forever. You know, it's mm-hmm. nothing new, really, for human biology. But no. basically, you know, what we consider to be a normal way of eating, which is sort of eating like a newborn, right, every couple of hours, is the furthest thing that the human body needs it's that's a way of eating that's been created by the food industry and the diet culture and is probably the worst way of eating for for the human body we don't need to be feeding our body every two seconds it won't break your metabolism to do intermittent fasting intermittent fasting is a way of feeding yourself and giving your body a break um, so that you have enough time, your body has enough time to do what it's supposed to do, to digest, to use the nutrients that you eat, to regenerate cells through autophagy, and 
to be able to do that, you need a certain number of hours to, to let your body do its job. And usually the minimum number of hours is about eight. And most of us actually do intermittent fasting without realizing it because when we're sleeping, mm-hmm. we don't eat normally, unless you're getting up to raid the fridge in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it, you know, most of us, as we're sleeping, we're not eating. So we have a certain number of hours when we're fasting. Yeah. And people who eat foods, whole foods, whole proteins and sources of fats that don't spike their insulin and even carbs that don't spike your insulin, um, they don't, as I was explaining, they don't necessarily feel like they need to eat as soon as they wake up or at certain times of the day. And when you do intermittent fasting, you get more attuned to your real signals of hunger and of satiety, of feeling full, which means that you learn how to listen to your body, you learn how to feed your body, and you learn how to let your body do its job of regenerating, of digesting, and all the other good things. Now, a lot of people feel scared by the whole thought of intermittent fasting. How am I going to survive not eating for 8, 10, 12, 16 hours or whatever, yeah. you know, I'm going to be starving. And this comes back to what I was saying about how you eat, what you eat is just as important as how long you don't eat. Yeah. So some people start intermittent fasting to as a weight loss thing, you know, which I find is a shame because yes, weight loss can happen, but, you know, starting with weight loss, for first and foremost, again, I think belongs to the to the diet culture. Yeah. But if you go according to health and how you want to feel, then I I think probably the healthiest thing is to first of all change what you eat. Yeah. Right. And stop mm-hmm. spiking yeah. your blood yeah. sugar and your insulin. And mm-hmm. then what happened to me at least, and what's likely to happen to you, is that intermittent fasting will just come naturally because you're just getting hungry less often. And then you're not white knuckling through a certain number of hours or trying to reach, you know, let's just one more hour until I can eat. That is all, in my opinion, an unhealthy way of approaching intermittent fasting. Yeah. And uh, that is uh, indeed, um, like today, I'm doing intermittent fasting. I had my cup of coffee this morning and I will have several other um, drinks, water and tea that I, that I like. And I make uh, some, uh, some broth that I have um, without anything in, just to have some flavor in the water. And I can go easily without having any issues till six, seven, eight o'clock tonight. And then indeed I am hungry. Like you say, that's then telling me, hey, I I need to eat something right now. And uh, then I cook a healthy meal for myself. And um, in meanwhile, my body has been able to not use um, the carbs for burning the calories, but has been using all the stored fat that we have um, for burning calories. And like that, I can maintain 
my weight in 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 a healthy manner. So right. yeah, so th- that's why I do it in a way. Um, that's for me the the main reason, and I it's it, it's natural. There's no, I I don't crave anything in between except that I'm thirsty and I, I need to need to drink, of course, in 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 time during the day. But I don't crave for any food at all until really early evening. Then I say, okay. It's getting time, Maria. I uh, start start making your dinner. Um, so yes, your body gets used to this, and uh, so there are different patterns on uh, intermittent fasting. Like I do, for example, now they call it a five-two, but there's other patterns as well. Can you talk about that also a little bit with the audience for the audience? Yes, yes, there are different patterns of intermittent fasting, 16-8, for example, where you fast for 16 hours and you eat during a window of eight hours. I mean, not eight hours nonstop, obviously, or 5-2, where you have, you know, some a certain number of days um, of fasting and a certain number of days when you eat and up days and down days and all that kind of stuff. There's all kinds of patterns and ways of doing it. For me personally, I don't follow a pattern. I don't like being told what to do, as you may have found out yeah. <laughs> during this interview. Um, yeah. And I don't like to feel that um, I have to keep to some sort of external um, pattern or anything like that. I need to feel that I'm the one in charge. Yeah. And so for me, just naturally listening to my body and listening to my hunger signals um, is what works best for me. And if one day... Um, it happens to be, I don't know, 12 hours of fasting and another day it's 20 hours, so be it. And it's just, for me, freedom comes from not being held to any sort of pattern or some kind of external factors. And freedom for me is to be really in touch with my own body. But yes, you're right, there's, there's all kinds of different patterns and they're all valid and if you're happy with them then that's what's healthy for me yes um i i I see what you're saying yes freedom for many people is uh in 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 many ways is ideal if you're not um have to follow a certain uh strict uh diet this is not a diet at all this is eating healthy and feeding your body, your, your body with good nutrition. So, yeah. So I have chosen two days a week to um, do this more as during the other days that I say, okay, I'm going to listen to my body. I'm going to fast for a longer period or not eat for a longer period, but I'm not feeling bad if it doesn't happen uh, at some time. And there's other people who will every day say, okay, indeed, like you say, I'm, I'm not eating for 12 hours maybe, or maybe 14 or 16 hours, whatever uh, time frame it is uh, that um, happens to be your, your, your magic number or not. Um, so, yeah, so um, it's not beating yourself up. First of all, if something doesn't go, uh, the way it was intended or you planned it or thought it should go, 
But um, yes, giving your body the opportunity to um, be and uh, healthy and tell you if it needs food or not food is a, is a, is a great way of living. It's just, yeah. yeah. So if, if you're just going with one meal a day, like I am doing today, it, it's not something that is, I think, sustainable for every day. So there are days indeed that I will eat more regular, that I will have something either uh, in the morning or a very light lunch uh, in between if I, if I feel like it. So, um, yeah, so that is for, for how I uh, approach intermittent fasting. But what I want you to, to uh, explain as also to our listener is how can reducing or cutting sugar help us age usefully? You know, I'm over 60. So I want to know how I can, uh, besides what I'm doing right now, if there's anything else I can do to make that happen. When you talk about uh, reducing or cutting sugar, can you explain the effect on uh, aging usefully or gracefully or however you want to say it? Yes, yes. Well, sugar in all its forms, again, not just sugar per se, but in all its synonyms, including uh, refined grains and flour, um, it creates in the system a level of, of systemic inflammation that no other food can do. I, I don't actually even grace sugar with the name food, but um, if when you cut, reduce or cut sugar, the, the more you reduce sugar in all its forms, the more you reduce systemic inflammation. That means inflammation in your whole system and inflammation, it's been found by many, many studies, real scientific studies. Inflammation is at the base of many, many illnesses um, that we take it for granted. These illnesses are part and parcel of getting older, but no, not necessarily. When you cut the foods or the, the products that cause this inflammation, then it, funnily enough, a lot of people find that the illnesses or the conditions that they thought were just a normal part of aging, well, they get better or disappear. So for one thing, reducing inflammation by reducing the products, sugar and flour that produce this inflammation, that is one way to age gracefully and usefully. And also just to keep to a whole foods diet, which automatically excludes highly processed foods from the food industry, Yeah, automatically excludes um, sugar and flour. Well, that not only introduces good nutrition to the body and helps you age with energy and vitality, but it also um, stops your body from having to deal with all these sort of foreign input, as it were, into your body. The body doesn't know what to do with all these weird ingredients. So cutting sugar means keeping to a whole foods diet, whether or not you're plant-based or you eat animal products, it doesn't matter. You're, the, the sort of the bottom line is keep away from foods that were made or engineered in the labs of the food industry and keep to 
whole foods, and that automatically will exclude sugar and flour. Yes. Ha! I love that how you explain this here, and I would like to keep it as our last piece of our discussion for everybody who's listening. That is the essence of why um, you hardly see me buying processed products in the stores. You can look in my fridge. There might be vegetables that I buy, frozen vegetables, but there is no meals that are ready to use unless I am really convinced that it is a healthy one. Otherwise, I won't buy these things and eat them. I will cook my own meals so I know what's in it uh, most of the time. Doesn't matter. I love to go for lunch or for dinner with friends too, but that's not on a daily basis so that the majority of time, indeed, I can eat the like Netta says, the whole foods and and not the engineered products that you get somewhere else. So Netta, um, I'm always loving to talk about these topics, and uh, time flies by. So <laughs> yeah, um, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they have any questions about sugar? Uh, cravings and how to stop or how to change their eating habits. Yes, yes, certainly. So um, I have a podcast, as you mentioned at the beginning, called Life After Sugar. And, you know, I call it after sugar, not without, because some people still keep a certain level of sugar in their diet, and that's fine. Um, So Life After Sugar, and that is really a podcast that, showcases lots of different people's experiences with reducing or cutting sugar. And there's as many ways to reduce or cut sugar as there are people. So that's the Life After Sugar podcast available on all podcast players. I have a website called um, aftersugarclub.com. And I have a private membership called the After Sugar Club, where um, you you pay monthly and we have uh, live calls together where you get support and encouragement and accountability for sort of really living day to day life and getting the support and the accountability you need to know, well, how do you live day in, day out? with less sugar in a sugar-filled world? What do you say to family members? How do you deal with the holidays or with somebody you know, offering you sugary foods? And how do you, especially, how do you deal with not just cravings, but your emotional connection to sugar? Because you know, we all grew up with sugar, most of us did, and we have this emotional, very strong emotional connection to sugar. And so in the After Sugar Club, we go through the different steps, you know, with all my experience and my teaching experience, I've developed different practical, actionable steps to help you let go of sugar without needing willpower and without suffering. Um, And I also have a Facebook page, Life After Sugar, and an Instagram account at My Life After Sugar, and a YouTube channel, Life After Sugar. So I'm pretty easy to find. Yes, yes, um, definitely, because you use the same um, slogan, life after sugar in, uh, in, in all your um, med- social media 
places where you can where they can find you and where they can uh, yeah see uh, how you can indeed change your eating habits to have a healthier life and um and and, and yeah have much more energy thank yes. you netta so much for being on this call this today i i loved our topic as you see i'm i'm, I'm doing parts of it not in in, a, in in the same way as you but still i i think the information that you provided this morning will help so many women uh to see that there are different ways of looking at food and uh what you eat on a, on a, on a daily basis so thank you for making time thank you for being on this uh podcast today my pleasure thank you so much for having invited me i loved it okay thank you yes ladies uh this is the end again of our podcast today so um if you like the show please leave a comment on any of the big channels like uh, iTunes or Spotify or Heart Radio, wherever you find us, um, so that uh, other people will find us so we stay high up in the rankings. If you want to talk to me about anything that you heard today or you have questions about retiring, then please feel free to email me at um, it's Maria at Maria um, I have a Facebook group too, and it has the same name as this radio show, Women Seeking Blissful Retire. So feel free to join the group. Uh, it's a lovely group of women. We are uh, there for inspiration and support each other. So Thank you for listening today. I will be back with another speaker and topic in about another four weeks time. It's always on the last Wednesday of the month. Take care and have a wonderful day. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Women Seeking Blissful Retirement. Your host, Maria Lukasen, will return with another show on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll help you enjoy better retirement. <music>